I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Kelsey. She has type 2A Hodgkin's lymphoma. Let's talk about it. Think it's the same 40 is 60s. like you know for sure you're, you're fucking turning 40 because like bridey's turning 40 soon and she's freaking out i mean she's I, she's wait how soon uh she's 38 yeah i was gonna she's, say in a couple years like i was gonna say not <laughs> not this year that's soon dude yeah. two years from 40 yeah. she's fucking that's real soon <laughs> This morning I saw a TikTok and some girl was saying she was 27 and then it showed her birth date. That was 1995. And I was like, that math does not make sense to me. I was like, I was just 27. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I know. Yeah. When you see like, when you see people like that were born in, in like 2000 fucks me up and you're like, what? And they can drink legally because they're 22. Yeah. Yeah. They're 22. 22. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That fucks me up really bad. Yeah. Um, well, this is going to be really, uh, really interesting. We're, we're speaking with our, our new friend, Kelsey, who is, uh, are you right now currently, where are you at in the world? Uh, Vancouver, BC. You're in Vancouver. Okay. I know that, uh, I know that like geography plays a little bit of a, a role in the story that we're going to be diving into today. Um, but before we get to that, Kelsey, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and, uh, what cool disease are we here to talk about today? Uh, yeah, I'm Kelsey. And when I was 27, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, here comes the question that we ask every time we come to one of these episodes. What's the difference between Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's? Because we, we seem to not be able to remember and that way, shit. I just want to say before you even answer that. Not only do I not know the difference between the two, I don't even know what it rem- means. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's a blood cancer. It's, it's, uh, lymphoma is a blood cancer. Yes, but I don't know what Hodgkin. I know, me neither, means. dude. And I literally you know? thought about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'll preface that any remotely scientific answer I give you could be incorrect, but this Sweet. is just my like top level understanding. But the difference between the types of lymphoma, I think it's just at a cellular level as to what mm. type it is. Um, and I think Hodgkins is like the guy who discovered that kind. And then there's a number of different non-Hodgkin types of lymphoma, but only one Hodgkins. Right. Lymphoma. Okay. Okay. And you and you specifically were diagnosed with type 2A Hodgkins lymphoma. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Don't add more so, <laughs> classifiers yeah. <into> this. <laughs> what does so that how, mean? What's type 2A? So how they type your lymphoma is just depending on how far through the body it spreads. So type one would be like just in one spot. Type two is in multiple spots, but either all above or all below your diaphragm. 
And then oh. type three would be above and below your diaphragm. So like you have lymph nodes in your groin, so they'd be there and in the ones in your chest or your neck. And then type four, I'm pretty sure is when it's spread to different organs or your bone marrow. So it's out of just your lymph nodes and into other parts of your body. Right. And then it, there's either A or B. So A is um, non-symptomatic. So you're not uh, losing weight, you don't have fever, you don't have a lot of night sweats, and then type B would you have all those like <laughs> classic symptoms of it? Okay, okay. So, so the A B is the symptoms, like symptomatology. Yeah, like how do you I'm pretty it? sure that's how I so remember them. As much as we know right now, and then yeah. the type is where it is or how much it's spread. Yeah. So, okay, wait. So lymphoma though, that's not not the same as leukemia, which is the blood cancer. Lymphomas in your lymphatic system. Yes, but it also it also has to do with blood as well. I think it's like it could be blood tumors, right? And 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 also, uh, uh, man, maybe yeah. I really maybe, maybe <laughs> we're gonna get a fucking letter. Hey, we're gonna get a letter. Here, lymphoma, just like that. Lymphoma, uh, hematologic cancer. Okay, that affects lymphocytes and resides in the lymphatic system and blood forming organs. So lymphoma is a group of blood and lymph tumors that develop from lymphocytes. Uh, a type of white blood cell. So I, so I, I, I think I was actually conflating it with leukemia. Uh, leukemia. So I, I, I really truly just got lucky there because I did say <laughs> blood cancer. Uh, yeah. But but it, but it seems to have something to do with the blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's not really what we're here to talk about, though, is no, it? No, <laughs> exactly. Who gives a fuck about that? What we care about is what the experience was like for you, Kelsey. And you were saying that you were diagnosed at 27 years old. Yes. And I know through working with a, a community that does a lot of work for young cancer survivors that the young cancer journey is a pretty like fucking intense experience for a lot of people. Um, you you were 27 years old. Take us back to like when this all sort of happened. Where were you at in your life? What was like what was happening Um and and like how much of a, a fucking wrench did this this diagnosis throw into your life around that time? Yeah. So I'd been in BC coming up on two years. I was working at um, an ad agency, which I'd love, but I was working uh tons of hours. I was probably working like 50, 55 hours a week. Um, I just started dating my partner like three months previously. I had gotten into, when I grew up, I sailed a bunch. So when I moved out West, it was like, this would be a great time to get back into sailing. So I was doing a bunch of sailing racing and it was kind of like, this is great. I moved out West. Everything's falling into place. Like I've set up this life for myself here. And then, um, I was getting ready to do a two week race around Vancouver Island. So you kind of start in Nanaimo on Vancouver Island and you do a two week circumnavigation of it. Cool. And, um, I remember it really specifically. I was sitting at my office in a meeting and I was just like mindlessly had my hand kind of on my neck. And I felt one of my lymph nodes was like pretty enlarged kind of behind my collarbones. You know, you have dips mm-hmm. where your collarbones yeah. are. I could like feel it kind of extending out. And I was like, Ugh. huh, that's not normal. Like I definitely didn't used to be there. But like when was- you say you felt it, like you could feel it with your hand, but like did it feel like, like if you, you know, if you palpated it, did it feel like, like tender or like, could you feel the, the actual lymph node or was it just like, Oh, that's a weird lump there. Um, I assumed it was my lymph node. Cause sometimes like your neck will get swollen when you get sick, but they're yeah. sore. So it didn't hurt at all. 
Hmm. But it was definitely like enlarged and kind of like poke it. It was there. I was like, you know what? Like I need to probably get this looked at, but I have a lot of stuff going on right now. Classic 20 something response. Like I'm probably fine. Yeah. I'll get this checked out in a bit. I had a race I was going to do for two weeks. I was trying to wrap up work to leave for that. Um, So that's what I did. I kind of was just like, oh, I'll deal with it when I get back. I put it out of my mind, went away, went sailing, came back. Things were still crazy at work. And it was probably about a month later where I really started noticing it again. And I was like, okay, I should probably go get this looked at. But I also didn't have a family doctor because I had recently moved to BC and it's impossible to find a family doctor. Um, so I have an idea for an invention. (laughs) It's like a database where you can easily access or sign up for family doctors when you move, move to new cities or live in a city where you can't, where you lose one. Cause I just lost my family doctor. I have no idea how to get one. And you call it Dinder and it's literally just swipe (laughs) left or right. The doctor you want or you don't want. Yeah, that's sweet. And then when they match with you, then you become their patient. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no information on steps to Find a family go, doctor. Because if yeah, you exactly. look up any doctor's office, you're usually like, we're full and not accepting patients. Yeah. Totally. It's yeah. like, okay, so what do I do? So what do you do? Yeah. yeah. I'm, so, I'm just gonna selfishly, I'm just gonna take care of myself for a second. If anybody's listening to this and know how I can get a family doctor in Nova Scotia, send me a message. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um so I went to a walk-in clinic because that's all I really could do. And I kind of went in and the doctor comes to me. She's like, Hey, like, what can I help you with today? And I burst into tears and I'm just like, cause I'd Googled it. Obviously Oh no! And I was like, I have a lump in my neck. It could be cancer. Like, I don't know what to do. She was oh like, don't worry. Like humans are innately like have lumps and bumps. Like it's probably nothing. We'll figure it out. She's like, I'll send you for some blood work. I'll send you for an x-ray and an ultrasound. We'll see what's going on. And she was like, do you have a fit? Do you have a family doctor? And I was like, no. She's like, you know what? And this probably should have been my clue that like she thought it was something bad. She was like, my office is not accepting patients, but I'm going to put a note in with the secretary. Call her tomorrow. We'll get you set up in my office. Uh, yeah. And oh, wow. Wow. So, you, she, so you, you took that as like a sign that she saw your. I didn't and, at the time. I thought uh, she was right. just being like a very lovely nice. woman yeah. to an upset person in a walk in clinic. Now, looking back in hindsight, she probably had. She was an like, idea. well, this girl's got cancer you know for sure. That's, that's so she wild. Needs help. That's so wild because it oh reminds me. It reminds me of when I I did a little stint as a, a real estate agent for a couple of years, and uh, when I first got my real estate license, like one of the ways that you get new clients is by working open houses. So you'll go and like work an open house for an agent who has the listing, and when people come in and are interested buyers then you will pick them up as your clients. So you're like always trying to like sort of like read the signs of the people that come in and see like, oh, is this person like serious? Like, is this a person who's definitely looking to buy a house? Because if they are, I want them. And I feel like the walk-in clinics for doctors are like, they're going in there and they're like reading patients like, oh, is this like a keeper? Is this one who's going to have to keep coming back to me? If so, Yeah, is this mole on their back (laughs) really going to look like uh, fucking melanoma for sure in the next week? Possibly Hodgkin's (laughs) lymphoma. Yes, we can definitely get you into our oh, office. Oh gosh, I, that's um, is that dark? It, yeah, I really hate that you made that analogy, Brian. But also, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, Kelsey, does it feel possible for you? But I mean, <laughs> it, it, 
Sure. I don't know. I don't know what benefit it would have for a doctor to have a really complicated patient who keeps coming back to you. Yeah. Um, just to just to spice things up, keep things not boring. You know, like you can only do so many STI tests I, in a week before you fucking hate yourself. I can't believe that we're laughing about this because we know where this is going, and yeah, it's not yeah. not good. Right? I mean, in fairness. All you can do is laugh about it. That's and like, right. I made yeah. jokes about it the whole way through because it's like, yes. if you can't laugh about it, then yeah, I'm taking my yeah. lead from you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which we, I think we're, we will get into that about the joking about it because that was one of the things that caught my eye in your application. But before we get there, so, so she, she sees you, she's like, okay, like I got you. We're going to get you set up. We're going to run all these tests. How, how quickly does the ball get rolling on things like the scans and the blood work and like the actual, like, like investigation into what the fuck's going on with your neck? Um, I mean, relatively quickly, cause it was just standard blood work and an X-ray and an ultrasound. So like blood work, you can just walk into any life labs in BC and get your blood work done. Um, and then I went and got, I got a call from the place that does x-rays and ultrasounds. And so I could book them at the same time because it's the same place. So in my mind, like I talked to my partner about it and he's like, the doctor said it's likely nothing. Like we shouldn't panic about this. Like everything's cool. I'm like, yes, everything is fine. This is totally chill. Go get blood work, not stressed. Go get an x-ray, not stressed. Go get a ultrasound. And I'm sitting in the room. I've got the like lab tech looking at my neck and it's like up on a screen. I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. He's like, okay. And then he like stops. He's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go get the radiologist. Just stay here for one second. And I'm like, Uh Oh no. And then this radiologist comes in and this is probably like the pivotal moment. And he had zero bedside manner. So it was not like a great experience for me, but he comes in and he's like, so your lymph nodes are enlarged. Um, you're not sick. They're not sore. So that's a sign that there's something else at play here. He's like, so, and he just like deadpan looks me in the eye and goes, so I'm going to recommend you get a CT and a biopsy because, you know, young people get lymphoma too. And I was like, pardon me. Oh, whoa. Whoa. What a way and to he's put like, it. yeah. So like, we'll print out your referral forms <clears throat> and then like you can go. And then he just leaves the room. So I, I'm oh, I'm sitting there having an absolute breakdown, like bawling. Yeah. Or like, lab tech comes back in and like gives me my forms. I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm in North Vancouver, walking down like the main street, just sobbing, like holding these two little pieces of paper, being like, oh. okay, cool, I have cancer. I call my parents. They're like, don't panic, but like we get why you're upset, and I have to go back to work. Like I'm like actively walking myself back to my office. Whoa. Whoa. What are you? What were you doing for work at the time? Um, I was a project manager at an ad agency. Okay. So you, like going back where you're like, what was it a possibility that in your head that you were just going to call in and say like, Hey, I can't come back. Or was it like, Hey, I have to go back right now. I don't, it was like in that moment, I don't think I even really considered calling and being like, I can't, I can't come in. It was just like, I just gotta, I gotta, gotta deal with this. Gotta get I gotta get day. through the day. Like yeah. I have work to do. I have meetings. I have emails. Mm-hmm. Like, So I got to my office and like the way my office is set up, when you come up the stairs, there's like one of the main boardrooms is right off the entrance. So you don't actually have to walk past anyone in the office. And like, that's as far as I got. Then I like ran into the boardroom and was hiding, crying. And I'm like slacking my coworker being like, can you come into the boardroom? Like, I don't know what to do. So she came in and like calmed me down. 
And I was like, okay, I can get through this day. This is going to be fine. And I just kind of like carried on my way. And I was like, well, I guess we'll get these next set of tests scheduled and that'll be fine. Can I, can I ask a question that, that might seem insensitive, but I, I, I mean it in a, could it be any more insensitive than the analogy of being a real estate agent trying to like poach for it's clients? probably less insensitive than that. Okay, so I great. think I'm good. Perfect. I then think I'd I've already set it. the bar well enough for myself, but, uh, I'm wondering like when you, I'm going to try to find a way to ask this and not have it seem insensitive, but like yeah, when you can in, be insensitive. When, when you're in the boardroom and you're messaging your colleague on Slack, knowing that like obvious, obviously you're, you're feeling like all of these emotions and, and not in the bed head, best headspace to like take on work as normal. Do you feel like, is it, is it comforting knowing that you have a really valid reason to be feeling that way? And I, and I'm asking that question in the sense of like, you know, like, I think of like when I have an excuse to not like do my work or have to do, do something when I, when I know that it's for a real reason that like, I really can't do this thing. It feels comforting going to have a tough conversation with somebody and like basically say like, Oh, like I'm not sure if I can do this right now. It's comforting knowing that like, I feel really validated in asking for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think at this point when I was 27, I was just so deep, like I had moved to Vancouver to kind of calm down with work. And I think that I hadn't exactly figured out that balance yet. And I was just so deep into work and feeling like I had to always be there and present and doing the work that in my mind, it was like, even though I'm being told I might have cancer, it's like, I gotta like, Mm -hmm. I need to suck it up and I need to like get back to work. And I've since like, figured out a better way to look at work and all of that. But at that time it wasn't like, Oh, I have a valid reason I should be able to leave work. It was like, I need to like suck this up and pull myself together so I can get back to work, which is unfortunate. I I feel like my motivation in asking that question comes from like the, like, obviously we, we just met, but like, um, you know, I, I feel like people who work in agencies are like, you know, tend to be like career driven will like sacrifice a lot of themselves to like, you know, be able to deliver on tight deadlines on projects and take on a lot of work. And, um, in an agency model, you, you can like sort of, you know, quote unquote, work yourself to death. And so I, I feel like a lot of times people will sort of put themselves second to their work. And so when like you're sort of forced to face, you know, the reality of life of like, you know, you know, being diagnosed with this type of illness, then it, it maybe can like sort of shift your perspective on that. So I was curious about like that did like, and you just said like, you know, because you were young, maybe that was a little bit different at the time, but do you feel like there was, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but like, do you feel like there was an evolution in the way that you looked at your health and career? For sure. And I mean, it came about afterwards probably, and we'll probably get there in this Mm. story, (laughs) but now for sure, I have a very different perspective on work and how that fits into life than I did before where like work was my life, unfortunately. I mean, the the other thing to just consider um, too, is that you, I mean, you weren't, you weren't technically given a diagnosis, but you were given news that is like very heavy 
that totally. is that is already that is already landing on on someone who who already has hyped themselves up into thinking that like it could be the worst case scenario, and so you get you get validated in that thinking by this this radiologist who has no bedside manner. You are now in a state of fight or flight, like mm-hmm. you you are you are total hyper arousal, fucking you know like you're you're not going to be thinking logically in that moment like you're just you are just put out into the world and, and and expected to like all right go go fucking like live your life but like how do you even know how to p- properly function when yeah. when being in that state right that like that that emotional state that everything is so heightened so mm-hmm. you know the idea of like going back to work what else it's it's in, it's yeah. but it's like it's yeah. insane to me now that i just walked yeah. myself back to my office in tears and was like, this is fine. We're going to go to work now. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'd be like, absolutely not. I'm taking the week off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Vacation starts today. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so you're there, you get your coworker to come in and you're just like, do you just pour everything on her and be like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. So my coworker was also like a close friend at that point. And she knew I was going to get my ultrasound and x-ray. So like, I kind of told her what was going on and she just calmed me down. We went for a walk. We got a coffee and it was just like, you know what? That, yes, the radiologist said this to you, but there is like lots of factors that are at play here and we got to, we'll figure it out. Um, and just like take it day by day. Cause like right now there's nothing I can do except go get these next rounds of tests and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I had gone to the walk-in originally and then met the doctor and the doctor's like, I'll take you on as a patient. Um, the results from my ultrasound and my x-ray got forwarded to her, but my blood work ended up not getting forwarded to her and it got sent back to the walk-in clinic. So I never heard back about my blood work and even my doctor, when I was talking to her next about my terrible experience at the, um, with the radiologist, she's like, well, I haven't seen anything from your blood work. And like, usually it would get flagged right away, especially with lymphoma, you would be able to see it in your blood work. So like, maybe that's a good sign. I don't know. We'll see how this all goes. So it's like, okay, great. A glimmer of hope. Love that. We're going to hold on to that until we get through the CT scan. So mm-hmm. I go and, um, I get my CT scan, which was a funny experience. Cause I showed up and if either of you have had a CT scan, they inject you with like a, a dye, a contrast dye. And I'm like, when I get awkward, I like to make jokes. So I'm like sitting there with the guy in the CT lab. He's like, so like when you get injected with this, um, there's like a weird warming sensation that you feel across your body. And like, it might feel like you're peeing, but you're not. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. has anyone actually peed? He's like, no, why? And I was like, Never mind. Send me in. Um, I have had that. I actually have had that, and it is it is pretty wild how it does make you feel like you pissed or shit yourself. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's bizarre. It's like whoa, what? Uh oh, uh oh, oh no. So really I went funny. and got the CT scan, and then they sent that to my doctor. So you don't hear right away from that. Um, and then a couple days later, I got a phone call from my from the walking clinic being like, Hey, uh, we have some blood work here. We need to follow up with you with. And I was like, Oh, that was supposed to be sent to my doctor. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, we'll send it to your doctor. I'm like, okay, great. Now there's 
obviously something they want to talk to me about, mm-hmm. about my blood work. Mm-hmm. So it gets sent to my doctor and then I go in for a call with her. And then that's where my doctor gave me the news that she said, it looks like I'm pretty sure it's lymphoma. Like based on the fact that your lymph nodes are all swollen, the blood work I'm seeing, you still need to go for your biopsy. Cause like, we don't know what type it is or any of the details around it, but she's like, I think we can like say with pretty good certainty now that like you have lymphoma. So like, this is what we're dealing with. Mm. I was like, okay. What, what was that? What did that feel like? Like receiving that news? I was upset, but it was in a way it was a relief. Cause I was like getting an answer at least yeah. where I'd been in this weird limbo where I was also being like jostled around between like, different radiologists and blood work at this place and the CT scan here and between the walk-in clinic and my doctor. And it was like, I just, I hate not knowing. And I like, especially with work, I'm a project manager. So I am quite type A and I like to like know what's going on and have a plan. And when you're trying to get diagnosed with something and no one's giving you an answer and they're just like, Oh, we need to go for this other thing. And this other thing it's like, okay, but at least if I knew what it was then I could make a plan for like how to deal with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, I ha- I didn't know. I was just like assuming the worst, which unfortunately was the result of it. But at least now it wasn't just an assumption and I knew. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, you know, you also have a little bit of time to kind of sit with the potential reality of what it is that you're looking at after hearing, you know, the radiologist say what he said and after having done the like WebMD bullshit of looking it up and like going through the whole rigmarole of all the tests and stuff, having a bit of that space to like actually sit with it for a bit and then receiving the diagnosis, you know, probably softens the blow a little bit comparatively if you had not known anything at all and you were just completely like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, just getting some blood work done because I feel a little bit weird. And then out of the like fucking complete blue, your doctor's like, listen, it's Mm -hmm. cancer probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, do you do you recall like what like because obviously you said that the doctor had had mentioned that you know we the biopsy is the thing that we need to do to really get a grasp on like what it is we're dealing with but this looks like almost assuredly this is cancer um how quickly do you go in for the biopsy and and what does a biopsy look like for something like lymphoma um well Unfortunately, it didn't happen very quickly. Canadian healthcare system is amazing because it's free, but it also isn't the quickest. And um, I got referred to a surgeon who was in North Vancouver. And so they're like, you're being referred to this person. I'm like, great. I called to make an appointment. And they're like, he's on vacation for the next four weeks. So we can book you in in a month. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And so I had to wait a month to get my biopsy done, but my doctor is an angel and she's like, I'm going to send over all your file work to date to the cancer agency to get that ball ball rolling ahead of schedule. So that when, once you have your biopsy and we know what we're dealing with, we can get you in right away. And it's not like wait another month to get your initial appointments going there. I feel like one, one thing for me, like if I was in that situation, I would be worried about um, like the timeliness of everything. Like as soon as you hear like, Oh, this, 
this probably is lymphoma. I would think, well, what, like, what the fuck? Can we do something tomorrow? Could or I today? die in a month? Like, it, do we need to fucking, yeah, like, what's yeah? yeah. So, and yeah. my partner, bless his soul, was like, well, should we just pay to have it done privately so that you can just know? And I was like, no, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like, I really trusted and I still do trust my doctor. And if she's saying this is okay, like, we can, mm. we can wait. Then right. like let's wait. We don't need to throw money at the problem just to get an answer quicker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, she did send me in. She's like, what I'm going to do is, um, so the biopsy I was scheduled for, they put you under, um, it's only like a 20 minute surgery and they just put you under, they say, cause it's more comfortable since it's on your neck. Um, like, like that, fully under, like, like totally conked out or like they give you a bunch of midazolam. So you don't really remember. They usually like fully under. Holy shit. Wow. Crazy. Um, and then they just like, it's a small incision. They like take a piece of your lymph node. They stitch you back up. You said send you on your way. Um, so <laughs> when I got my CT scan, it's like, I'm trying to remember all these details. When I got my CT scan, I found out that it was in my neck and then there was a bunch of them in my chest as well. Uh, and one of them was, um, I think they said it was like 10 centimeters across in my chest, one of my lymph nodes. So when wow. I went in for my pre-surgery wow. meeting with the anesthesiologist, she's like, my concern is that when a person is put under your body relaxes in a way that it doesn't, if you're just sleeping, like everything just kind of fully yeah, relaxes. Yeah. And they said their concern was that if they put me fully under that the lymph node in my chest might shift and then basically start suffocating me because it would like cut off my oh, airway. Oh my God. So then oh. like, just like another cause of anxiety for me. And I'm like, how am I supposed to show up to the surgery now? So she's like, we're not going to put you under. We're just going to sedate you. So like, I'll still be asleep, but okay. apparently it's slightly different than being fully yes. under. Yes, 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 yes. And she's like, obviously I'll be there the whole time. I'll be keeping an eye on you. I'm crying. <laughs> All I did was cry for like two months at everything. Oh. Um, and so um, ahead of that, my doctor's like, I'm going to try and get you in for a needle biopsy. Um, because it's less invasive, you don't have to get put asleep. It's super quick. If we can get you in for that, we'll try and get you in for that. The issue being, it comes back as like they don't always get the answer they want from it, and then you might have to go to your biopsy anyway. But ideally, we can like not have to send you for a biopsy. So I went for that. It came back inconclusive. But I had this amazing lab tech who was like, lymphoma, you know, it's great because it reacts really well to treatment. They start shrinking mm. right away. And it was like the first person who had given me any like hope, hope of like, yeah. okay, this is like a manageable thing mm. um, while he was sticking a needle in my neck. And I was like watching it on the <laughs> ultrasound. Um, so, Jared, how would you feel about that? Oh uh, man, I would not be uh, needle in your neck. <laughs> well, I'd be like, nope, put me asleep, uh, yeah. or else we don't. <laughs> Get that well, it's just like I kept getting these like last minute calls for appointments where you don't really even have time, other than my biopsy. I never really had time to consider like, what is my comfort level with this? Am yeah. I going? It was just like uh, they're like, oh, we have a last minute cancellation. Can you come in in an hour? And I was like. I okay, guess. I guess I'm coming in an hour. Yeah. And it was just like this flurry of appointments that I was like getting jostled to. But um, it came back inconclusive. Mm. So I ended up going to the uh, biopsy anyways mm. uh, to find out what I had. So so at the biopsy, they they sedate you and they don't have to put you fully asleep. And then they did they biopsy just the neck or did they do yeah. the chest as well? 
they just did one spot in my neck. And then, so I wake up from it and while I was going through this, cause like my um, partner and I had just started dating. So I was trying to be like super cool and independent about everything. And I was like, this is fine. So my roommate like drops me off at my day surgery appointment. And I'm just like, I'm just going to go by myself. This is totally normal of me to do. So I go, she's like, okay, like text me when you're done and I'll come pick you up. Cool. <laughs> so I wake up and there's like this sweet nurse with me and she's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, honestly, pretty good. Like, I don't feel bad at all. She's like, are you sure you're not in pain? And I'm like, yes. Like, I'm definitely sure I'm not in pain. She's like, we're just gonna keep you a little longer. Just to make sure you're not in pain. I was like, okay. So like, wait around. She's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm fine. And it eventually got to the point where it's like, do you want to give me more painkillers so you'll feel better about letting me go? And it seemed like that was the answer they wanted. And I was like, okay, sure. You can give me some more painkillers. So I gave me more painkillers. So I'm like basically stoned at this point. And then they're like, okay, great. Thank you. And I'm like, (laughs) on your way, on your way. And then you know how you're I, fucking I like drooling at this point. Yeah. You're like, you like, can't keep your mouth open. Joke shut. about how they like <laughs> wheel you out of the hospital. Yeah. So this like sweet old lady who was clearly a hospital volunteer is like, okay, I have to like wheel you out. And like, I'm worried I'm going to be like her downfall. She's like quite old and I can walk. She's like yeah. insisting yeah. on pushing me to my roommate <laughs> who's sitting in her car laughing at me. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is a scene. So then thankfully <laughs> I get in, I go home. And then I think I took like two Advil after the fact, maybe, but they sent me home with like a very strong pain prescription yeah, that I never crazy. filled. And you yeah. sold on the black market and made all that money, which is why you're talking to us from your yacht right now. Uh, <laughs> people, people can't see this, but anyway, it's it's a beautiful, I mean, it's very, it looks very luxurious and, it, and, yeah. and beautiful, but uh, yeah. anyway, we maybe we have it's to cool. cut that. I, I like forgot. how you put I, that, I like, that, that gold RX on the yacht. Too, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yacht's called cool. RX. <laughs> um, I, I, you know what, I, to that, to that wheelchair point, I, um, I've been in I've been in the hospital a number of times where like I've been in that situation where they're like okay we're like gonna push you around and I, and I it's so not necessary but I'm always like yes please like it because I, I just it's it's like, it reminds me of like when I was a kid like riding in the uh, shopping cart when my mom was pushing me through the grocery store I'm just like we here we go <laughs> this person who doesn't get paid enough to fucking cart me around um, you so so biopsy and everything you know all that goes goes over you're you're kind of like now i guess at a point of just waiting for the next steps of like how to actually go about treating this um where are you at mentally now like with everything so far so the whole time this is going on i've been like showing up to work just taking time off for like my appointments i took the i think i took two days off for my surgery um but it was kind of like still showing up to work in body, probably not in mind. Mm. Um, my good friend and I still laugh. Um, while this was going on, we had a new girl start at my office who happened to be sat beside me. And like every once in a while during the day, I would just like quietly burst into tears. <laughs> but still be like sitting at my desk. And she told me after the fact, she thought that like, I was just like so stressed and overworked that I was just crying <laughs> at my desk. And she was like, I was so scared my first week at work. Cause I thought like people are just bursting into tears. Yeah, at their what desk. did I sign like, up what for? Did I sign up for? <laughs> um, Cause the whole time I'd been like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going as normal until I can't. And I had told my office that like, 
we're going to see how far I get. But then as soon as I got diagnosed, I was like, you know what? I think that I just need to like stop for a bit. And my office was like completely supportive of it. I think they were confused while I was like still showing up to that (laughs) point. Um, But especially after I got my official diagnosis and like I was put into the system at the cancer agency, it was like, you know what? I think I need to just focus on this because like work is stressful. And the last thing I need on top of this is feeling stressed in any way. Like I need to give myself the best shot. So like, I just need to kind of like stop, not work. Mm. One, one thing that um, is sort of striking me about this conversation that uh, I haven't considered um, much before talking about this and, and, you know, considering that we've talked about cancer so much um, it's kind of surprising me, but it's, it's like this, the sort of like pre build up to the diagnosis. And I know that some people um, maybe don't have as much of like a, a runway leading up to it, but I'm thinking about how emotionally um, exhausting it would be going through this. It, it feels like a bit of like a roller coaster, like, you know, there's hope and then there's that's taken away. And then there's you know, a little bit of hope coming into an, the next appointment. And then the bad news kind of makes you feel shitty again. And, uh, and imagining like what that's like, in a work environment, for example, trying to communicate that to people who don't quite understand, but you don't really officially have the diagnosis and yet you're still going through the emotional trauma of like dealing with that situation. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because I really, it, I think I oftentimes think of like the illness starts at the diagnosis, but it really doesn't like it's, it, there's so much more to it before that, yeah. And I think that people I I know personally I I oftentimes don't appreciate the build up to that because I would say the build up is arguably worse because mm. you have no idea what's going on. No mm-hmm. you're not sure how to react or what to plan for or like what you should start doing. You're just kind of like in this extended limbo period. Yeah. Yeah. Um what I did was I, after I got diagnosed, I went back to work and that's when I told them, like, I think I just need to leave. Um, I had had time booked off anyway. So I took a week. I went away with my partner for the week and just like got some space to think about things. And I went back for a week to wrap stuff up and then kind of cut ties with work for mm. the year mm-hmm. and took a full year off, which was, yeah. it was like, obviously it was great to be allowed that opportunity to have the time to really like get better and like do treatment and heal from that. Um, and I think it was like what made it manageable. Like I can't mm. imagine people who have to, especially like in the States with not having health insurance and like having yeah. to work and be in yeah. debt and all of that. I cannot even imagine. What, mm. what did treatment look like for you and, and, and how long did that last? Uh, treatment was 12 rounds of chemo over six months. So every two weeks I was at chemo. And I know that, um, you know, like we, we, we've talked to so many people that have had cancer over the last six years, but like with chemo, you got the classic, like your hair falls out, you know, you're, you're, you're like, it's really hard to like maintain weight because you're, you're like your, you know, your appetite's all fucked up. Nauseous. Um, did you, I, I, I take it you lost your, your hair. Yes. I lost my hair after I held onto it for a while. I have a ton of hair, thankfully. So I was able to keep it until about the halfway mark when I shaved my head. Mm-hmm. And, um, for my treatment, they said the two guarantees are just, you're going to be tired and you're going to lose your hair. Those were the big ones. They said 
nausea is not too much of an issue anymore. We've got like anti-nausea medication pretty dialed in at this point. So you should feel okay. Um, There was lots of side effects from the anti-nausea medication, which were a bit tough, but um, it was just like, it was really the long game. It was like a mental long game of like, I've got six months of this and you're on a two week cycle of like groundhog day. You would go to chemo and while you're at chemo, because you're taking all the anti-nausea meds, and then there's also additional steroids they give you just to protect your lungs and things like that from the chemo. Um, You spend like, you go to chemo, you have two days where you're like hopped up on steroids and like cannot sleep. And then you like fall off a cliff, then you sleep for like six days. Then you have five or six days where you start feeling normal again. And then it's like, I have to go back again. And then you do that mm. 12 times. Mm-hmm. I remember that with Brandon, like he would, oh, yeah. like when he would go in his, to, to chemo, like you wouldn't see him for like 10 days and then, and then he would be out for a few days and he'd look great and f- be feeling a lot better, but we then he would just go back in again. and go, yeah. go through it again. The, uh, so I, and you know, chemo is you're essentially poisoning your body um, in order to poison the cancer. Um, and I know that you lost your hair, you lost your eyebrows, which is always that's always a, a, a fun treat. Did you get a eyebrows. wig? Uh, yeah, did, yeah. Did you do the wig? Um, I didn't. I got a prescription for a wig, and I went to look at wigs, and I just found it because I hadn't lost my hair yet, and I just yeah. found it, like more upsetting to be trying on wigs. Yeah. Right. The. Uh, and it was like kind of in style to have a shave. Like I would meet strangers and they thought I was just like cool and like shave my head. <laughs> I was like, sure. You can just assume that I'm cool like that. Uh, the one thing I found interesting about hair loss was that you lose your nose hairs. So like your nose Whoa. just runs all the time. Wow. Yeah. Right. I, did, I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, I always have a runny nose. And then my friend who was going through, breast cancer treatment was like, Oh, it's cause you don't have nose hair anymore. It's like, Whoa. Oh. Do, you, do you recommend it or not recommend it then? It's hey, don't you, who, who recommends not having nose hair and just having a runny nose well, all the fucking time. I'm asking because I was, it was uh, great. It was great. I had to carry tissue all over the place. My fucking nose would bleed sometimes. It was fucking just lovely. I'm asking because I was shaving my face the other day and I, and I, when I was like going under my chin and looking up in the mirror, I was like, Man, I got kind of long nose hairs. Yeah, but dude, there's a, but like, there's a big difference. But like trimming your nose hairs yeah, different than like no difference. nose hairs. So should yeah. I shave my nose hairs? Yeah, should I course. wax them with nair? Dude, I, no, uh, don't do that. But I tr- I trim my, my nose hairs get un, uh, un, un, unruly. You know, unruly. And so I, I clip those. But like, but like you think you about electric you got nose, nose hairs. You got nose hairs way up there. Dude. Yeah. Like nose hairs go up. And so you lose those, then you're. I'm aware. Mine are way up there, and they're hanging all the way down. There's big ass, <laughs> these long ass vines hanging under my nose. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. And this is something I'd never heard of before and I didn't realize, but I should have thought about this because when you think about 
what you at least what I've been what I've gathered is that our fingernails are are the same as are similar to our hair. Like like our fingernails are like an extension of hair almost like on our body. Uh, to some degree, and I don't know what that means or why or, or like how, but I know I that our like nails fast and hair... reproducing cells. That yes, yeah, grow. exactly. Um, and so we lose I, our hair. I when... always heard it was like dead skin cells, and that's what hair was, and that's yeah, what fingernails yeah, exactly. Were. It's just a built. It's just a bunch of like dense hair. That... What is, isn't it called? Something I don't know. Yeah, uh, but yeah. you lost your fingernails, right? I lost a couple of my toenails. Oh, I know fuck? it was like it was gross, and that's I was like, so oh, crazy. <laughs> Did it hurt? Um, like how, like, no, it's just like, they kind of just stop growing. And it's okay. like, you know how, if you like smash your toe, sometimes your toenail will fall off. Yeah. It was kind of like that experience. I got them, but it, I've never had that happen to me. And I hope it never happens to me because just, yeah. it, my, I love horror and I love body horror. And, <laughs> but the one thing that I cannot watch no matter what is, in movies when people are like, like, you know, when they're, when they're transitioning into like some sort of demon or like yeah. zombie and they're like, Oh no, my face. It was and they far just less feel... dramatic than that. Oh, thank God. Okay. Keratin. Keratin. There we go. That's it. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing that I'm, I'm really curious about is that you, you know, you had mentioned that you were kind of in like a newer relationship and then all of a sudden you get this cancer diagnosis and, one thing, again, just referring to like the, the time that I spent wor- working with young adult uh, cancer patients is that it oftentimes can, have, can be a really like tumultuous experience for a relationship when, when someone's faced with cancer at a young age. And how, what kind of toll did this take on your relationship with your partner, considering it was like a newer relationship? And, and yeah, like, like what can, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, all things considered, I think it went really well. Thankfully, we had known each other as friends for a bit before we started dating. So we had a decent foundation of knowing each other. But I do remember kind of early on in it saying to him one night, like, I know this is a lot. Mm. You didn't sign up for this. Like, this is supposed to be like the fun getting to know each other stage of the relationship. And now I have cancer. And I was like, this is an awkward conversation, but like, this is kind of an out for you if you would like it. Cause mm. I don't want you to have to do this with me if this is not something you want to do. And he obviously told me like, don't be crazy. Like I'm here for this, but um, I did feel like I needed to kind of have that conversation. Cause I didn't want to be that burden in the relationship on mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also kind of, we had conversations around like, as much as you can, like, please treat me normal. Like, I don't want you to feel like you're my caretaker. Like yeah, we, didn't, we weren't living together yet. So there was at least like a little bit of separation there. So it mm-hmm. felt like he would come to appointments when he could, but he was like off and on with work away. So at least in that sense, like I had a lot of friends who were also helping out to kind of make sure that he didn't feel the burden of being the caretaker. Mm-hmm. But, um, bless his heart he takes things literally when I'm like treat me like normal he's like okay I'll treat you like normal and it was leading up to Christmas he's like let's go for a walk we'll cut down a Christmas tree it'll be all like in my head I'm like oh that's cute and romantic the walk (laughs) is like he like hikes me up the side of the mountain I'm so tired oh no he like cut down this tree we're like dragging it down the mountain we get lost we're like bushwhacking (laughs) through the forest we get to the bottom and I'm like like 
almost crying. I'm so tired. And like, like we need to go home. Like I'm so tired. And he's like, so I guess like I now know the line of like what we can and can't do and what (laughs) normal now is. Um, And then I slept for like three days. Like that was, that was too much. But um, generally speaking, he was like really great about it. And I think it made my parents feel a lot better because my parents were in Ontario and they were trying to give me my space and be respectful of the fact that like I didn't, it wouldn't have been helpful for them to like <clears throat> ship me home to Ontario for treatment or them come out and be like around all the time. Mm. And I think having Will here with me gave them a bit of peace of mind to like mm-hmm. let me be on my own here mm-hmm. while dealing not, with it. Not that there has to be like a, a silver lining to this, but like it's kind of a great way to weed out a shitty guy, right? Totally. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like somebody who who treats you like that and steps up like that, it's like I mean, hey, it's sweet. Just to push back on that a little bit, like I I I don't I wouldn't say to weed out a shitty guy. I, I mean, I'm, like yes, that definitely I'm like that, that, that is a good way to do yeah. that. But yeah. also, <laughs> the thing to the thing to consider there is that like you Some, you would kind of yeah. put you would kind of said it, Kelsey. It, it when and we just talked about this in a, in, a, in a previous episode, but like when you when cancer inserts itself within in between a relationship more often than not the 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 person in the relationship who is not the patient oftentimes sort of has to take on that caretaker role mm-hmm. and that is that is not something that is easy to do it is it's it's oftentimes something that really kind of like strips away any of the romance any of the intimacy that exist that existed within that relationship prior to, and it, I don't think it's I you know I think more often than not I don't think it's the I don't think it's the person who is has to take on that role that you know if relationships end because of cancer it's 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 really it's it's not a lot I, I'm sure there's cases where it is but I feel like it it you can't really blame the other person. You know, it's, it's a, that's a lot, that's a lot to take the on. And, and the, the cancer is yeah. really the thing that's totally. fucking shit up. But, you know, it's yeah. like this person yeah. that moves in rent free and is just fucking yeah. your relationship. And you're yeah. like, God damn, this roommate sucks. But the person, you have to be honest with whether or not you have the ability to do that. But I'm just speaking for all the, all the ladies out there who want their man to step up. <laughs> and I'm just saying, yes, queen. Oh my God. You just gotta go, you gotta find Brian, yourself a man that's gonna step up. I, <laughs> Oh man, I can't even like express the cringe <laughs> that is that is seeping out of my pores right now. Oh, I'm just Christ. saying because I see you. I I see you. Don't ever say man's again. <laughs> I see you, uh, queens. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Kelsey, I I uh, I'm I'm curious. To, another thing that we've talked about on the podcast so, somewhat recently. Um, and it was actually, it was a conversation surrounding cancer that was kind of eye-opening for, I think for the three of us, Taylor's not here, he's, he's pumping a baby out. Um, but it, it sort of opened our eyes up to language surrounding cancer in a really big way. And so it, this, this, converse, this, this conversation that I'm, I'm referring to is, was with a woman who was, who was on the show to talk about um, the use of cancer metaphors and how, f- you know, metaphors can be really useful for some people. Some people fucking hate them. And when I say cancer metaphors, I'm talking about, you know, the thing that I even said at the beginning of this, which was like cancer survivor or cancer journey, um, you know, cancer warrior. You're going to battle to fight cancer. Some people really love uh, 
mm-hmm. that language and it and it's empowering and it helps them through the process. Some people find it fucking just highly annoying and and it does not resonate with them whatsoever. And so I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on on the languaging that that typically gets used around cancer, these these cancer metaphors like journey or survivorship or or things like that. Yeah, um I think it's an interesting one because um, I think a lot of people, when they are diagnosed with cancer, not that it becomes their identity, but they really identify with that part of their life and what yeah. they're experiencing. Where I was 27, I was setting up my life in a way that didn't involve cancer. And I didn't want to take that 180 into like having cancer define me or who I was or what was going mm-hmm. on. I kind of just wanted to deal with it and ideally have as few people know as possible. So I really like, don't like the term cancer journey. It's not a journey. It's like a journey to me is like an adventure, something you chose to do and be (laughs) on. And like Mm -hmm. cancer is like, it's cancer. It's like a thing that's happening. And I just never really got on board with it being something I identified as or being on like a cancer survivor. Um, And that's why I also found it really tough because in one sense, it's like, I wish there was like programming or something I could go to or like a group I could be part of to like not even talk about it or like not a support group, but just like meet people who understand Mm. and get it. And like, that could be it. Like we don't have to talk about it all the time, but I found like you either go to these support groups where like everything is about you having cancer and like that being your identity, which I hated the idea of because like at 27, you're still creating who you are and what you want to be and what you want your life to be. And so I kind of just, it was like all or nothing. So Mm. I was just like, well, I, We'll push that to the side, but like, yeah, cancer journey. Did you, that. did you try to, you know, so, so, and that totally makes sense. Like, you know, yeah. cancer support groups or, or even, even like athletes or cancer, the, 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 the organization that I was working with for a while there, like it is very much, um, the, the MO for most of those places is to focus on, all right, you've been through this hard thing. Let's all come together and talk about this hard thing that we've all been through so that we don't feel alone and that. So we can like, commiserate with one another and, and, and that's beautiful and that's wonderful and that works for a lot of people, but for some people like yourself, it doesn't. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. so what is out there? Well, I don't know. I don't know if there is anything out there that really exists in the, in the sense exists in a way that, you know, something that, that it is what you're looking for. So in that case, then did you kind of, whether consciously or subconsciously search for other avenues that you could use that would give you that thing that it is that you're looking for. Um, you know, whether that just be through your own social group or, or I don't know, like, um, did you, did you find something that sort of filled that gap for you? The one thing I found, which was super helpful was through the leukemia and lymphoma society. They have a, I forget what they call it, but they basically pair you with someone who had the same or similar diagnosis around the same age who can just be a bit of a sounding board and be like, this is what it was like for me. Here's what you can expect. Mm. Here's some like tips and tricks that they found helpful during treatment. Mm. Um, So I got paired with a girl and I had coffee with her a few times and it just really helped leading up to chemo to like have someone 
kind of give me mm. a real explanation of how it would go. Mm. Um, so it's I found like that big, helpful. Big brothers, big sisters. For, yeah, yeah, right. For Pretty much. For cancer. Yeah. 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 Um, but outside of that, I mean, I really just found joy and like normal day activities and my friends really made an effort to do it as well where like just treat me like normal like I if I want to go out for like a beer with you guys like let's go out for a beer and like no one has to question me I'm like should you be drinking that beer it's like doesn't matter yeah yeah let's just like hang out and like this not be the only thing we can talk about for the next year while I'm going through it yeah um because like I went into it with the mindset that most of it was out of my hands. Like I was going to listen to what the doctors told me. I was going to do what the doctors told me. So my only, the only thing I really had control over was my mindset going into it. And I was like, Mm. I'm not going to let this control my life or rule my life. I'll try and Mm. still enjoy life as much as I can outside of being in treatment. Mm. And I just really focused on that. And it really helped get through the winter that was chemo and like in Vancouver, it just rains for six months. So it was like, I didn't see the sun. It was, it wasn't always easy, but at least like I had some normalcy left. Um, And and in in terms of like, like not wanting to be the, that the thing that, you know, consumed the conversation um, when you went out with your friends, it it sounds like it's, it's not that you, you didn't want to talk about it it's that you didn't want it to take control of the relationships that you had with these other people. Yeah. Right? Like I was open to telling my friends about it. If they had questions, I was happy to yeah. answer it, but it's just like, that's not the only thing that's going mm-hmm. on in my life. I mean, it was yeah. the main thing that's going on in my life, but like mm-hmm. if you have a friend that doesn't have cancer, you don't say like, Oh, Hey, how was your last doctor's appointment? Like no yeah. one asks yeah. that to their <laughs> yeah. friends if they're not sick. Yeah. And yeah. And when that and that when that becomes normalized, um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but when that becomes normalized, like the all right, let's go out and let's talk about my cancer. For the for the people in your life that want to support you, oftentimes they go, well, I guess that's the thing that I need to do now to like show up for Kelsey. So when we're out with Kelsey, like let's make sure that we, you know, <laughs> dig and investigate about how her, she's doing with her cancer. Like it's it, it, to coming from a place of care and coming from a place of like concern and, and like, you know, trying to be there for you. But when that becomes normalized and, and it's not the fucking thing that you want, like, why not just go, Hey, you know what? L- we're not ignoring this, but let's just fucking put it on the back burner. Cause at this juncture, it does not matter. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe at some point it will, but like, let's just fucking go hang out. Yeah. You know? I had a friend say, like, you just don't seem like a cancer patient. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I get what you mean. And like that, I love hearing that. <laughs> but it's funny that like people's perception of a cancer patient is like sickly and laying in yes. bed all the time. And yeah, it's like yeah. you can have a life and like go out to activities and events yeah. and like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm tired and like staying out till midnight is going to like ruin my next three days. But like, that's mm-hmm. fine. Like. I don't have anywhere to be. So. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> through, right. Through your, um, through your treatment, did you, did you, uh, talk to a social worker? Did, were you referred to a therapist at all? Um, I talked to a therapist a few times. It was funny when I first got into the cancer agency system, they're like, so we have dietitians and, um, therapists and things you can talk to. And I was like, Oh, like, is it all 
free because like usually in normal life, if you go see a dietitian or a therapist, it's not covered by normal yeah. healthcare. She was like, of course it is. Are you American? And I was like, no, I'm just wondering. <laughs> so I went and I talked to the therapist a few times and it was, it was nice to talk to someone who I could just like cry to and I didn't have to worry about them then like being on eggshells with me the next time if it was my friend. But I mean, I don't know. I don't think I'm like the, I didn't get a ton out of it. She was like, mm-hmm. you should journal about how you're feeling. I was like. Mm. Journal about your journey. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. So I was like. Eh. That's the interesting thing. Um, um, I feel like I asked somebody recently this, the same type of question. And, and uh, it's interesting when you go, when you're sort of referred into therapy, like w- with the sort of like, with a preconceived notion that like you need to go and talk about this one thing, um, then it might feel like, especially for somebody like you, Kelsey, who's like, is really, is is sort of resistant to the idea that like, you know, cancer is defining any part of your life. Then it's like, well, I don't want to go and fucking talk in therapy about like all the impacts that my cancer journey is having on my life because you don't necessarily see it that way. So if somebody, if the therapist or a therapist approaches like, well, we really got to explore this. We got to really dig into this. It, it probably doesn't feel really good to have those types of conversations. Yeah. Like uh, I appreciated it, but I just Mm -hmm. didn't think it was, I don't know. It was a nice way to cry for an hour. And then I left feeling at least like I got it off my chest, but Mm -hmm. She was really into mindfulness. And at the time I was just like, I just need to like, I just need this to be done. I don't want to reflect on it. Yeah, like stop talking to me, you fucking hippie. I get <laughs> and it. And like I get after it. the fact, therapists would probably be like, you've got a lot of repressed feelings about this, but <laughs> yeah, <right>. that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So how how are you, this, so you go through treatment. Um, I, I take it treatment went actually quite well. You know, you you got to the other side of it. Where, where are you at today? Um, I'm good. I've like got a clean bill of health. Um, I go in once a year for the next year. And then after five years, they call you, they don't like to use the word cured, but you're basically, it's very, 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 very unlikely you'd ever come back. Do you like the word cured? Um, I do. I mean, I think it like wraps things up a bit so you can kind of move on, move on. Yeah. Um, cause like, you're technically just in remission forever, I think. Yes, yeah. Um, but at this point, I don't really, other than like having to go to the doctor once a year, I don't even think about it that much. Yeah. And it's been an interesting shift because when it happened, everyone in my life knew about it. And as we've gone on and like with work, I meet new people in work who didn't know me before and they yes. just like don't yeah. know or have any idea. And then every once in a while, it'll come up in passing, like I'll make a comment about something and they'll be like, Oh, what? I did not know that. And I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, it was a thing that happened. And then now I feel, I feel anymore. like I'm kind of in that right now with, uh, and not, not to go down this road and, and, you know, people know this or whether, or whether, either they know this or they don't from listening to the podcast, but like, I'm kind of going through that right now with, with having been on Trikafta where like, I'm thinking to myself like, man, I'm going to meet people, you know, I'm going to meet, meet people like in the coming, like this summer. And, you know, if they don't know me, they, they don't know the podcast, they're not going to understand how different of a human I am mm-hmm. than what I was before I started Trikafta. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, it's a, it's a very like, 
it's a very trippy kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's a little different since I lived with it my whole life, but like, I, I get where you're coming from there where it's kind of like this fun sort of like, <laughs> Oh yeah, you don't, you don't fucking know. You don't even know what I've been through. Like it was funny though. Like, so I, obviously I shaved my head and then it was growing back and like growing hair out is so awful. Cause you go through so all these like awkward middle-aged mother haircuts when <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. 30. Yeah. And there were all these times where I'd like meet new clients and I, I wouldn't, I would forget what my hair looked like because it just was <laughs> what it was. Yeah. But then I would leave these meetings and be like, those people thought I chose that haircut. Like yeah. that was something that I was like, I look good. This is awesome. Like this, like, let me speak to the manager, like swoop with my hair. It's just like, awesome. so thankfully it's now grown out. I don't have to think about that anymore, but that That's was a, what I found the funniest. Funniest is cancer funny. things I've ever yeah. heard. That's so funny. Yeah. They did think you chose that. They did. Yeah. And I got a really bad haircut when it was, my hair gets really light in the sun and then in the winter it'll go darker. So I started growing my hair out in the summer and then, cause it was all the same length, it was like growing out sideways. So I went, I was like, can you like trim it on this? I didn't know what I was asking for. And I ended up with this haircut where I had like fully frosted tips. And it was just like, this is the worst. Yeah. I was like, should I just shave my head again? Because like, I don't know yeah. how I can go out in public and pretend this is fine. That's so funny. Did you wear a lot of hats? I wore a lot of hats. Literally Thankfully, and figuratively, I'd say. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Thankfully, like when my head was bald, it was winter, so I could get away with toques and like yeah. couldn't really tell. Mm -hmm. um, I did, though. I flew home partway through chemo. I was just like so sick of the rain. And my parents were like, if you want to come to Toronto, you can. It's cold, but the sun is out. And I was like, yes, please put me on a plane. I'll come home. So I get to the airport and I was like, you know what? If I'm going to like at least try and milk this a little bit, like maybe getting a flight upgrade would be like the way to do it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Play so I'm like, card. not that person at all. So I'm like psyching myself up at the gate. I'm like, yes, Kelsey, do it. So I like take my toque off and I like walk up to the gate and I'm like, hi. It's like, I just had chemo a couple of days ago. I'm like not feeling well. Like, is there any way you could get me into a seat with a little bit more room? And then the woman's just like, Sorry, no. And I was like, fucking your Canada. Uh, you know what? You should have said, I am in the middle of my cancer journey and I am battling I and I am a survivor. Can I please? Yeah. And they would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah okay. So then I get on the plane and I'm like it's getting so seated. And I think they like crank up the heat when you're boarding a plane just to make everyone like yeah. slightly more anxious than they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, like take my toque off. Cause I'm sweating and I sit down and this woman like sits down and I sort of her butt lands on the seat. She turns and looks at me and goes, are you in treatment? And I was like, why, why not now? Not, not now. now. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. She's <laughs> like, Oh my God. Like, what do you have? I'm like lymphoma. She's like, Oh wow. She's like, and she was telling me her life story and that's fine although I did not ask for it and I'm very tired and just like not having any of this. <clears throat> so like, thankfully we take off and I like put my headphones on and I'm just like, watching a movie and like ugh, being left alone. And she's watching, do you remember the documentary that came out about um, the tragically hip and yes. the lead singer and how he died of brain cancer and yeah. all mm -hmm. of that. Gordania. She's what Gordania. I can't believe I couldn't remember his name. She's watching it. She takes her headphones out, turns to me and goes, isn't this just so hard to watch? 
And I was oh like, oh my god. god. No, your audience, Whoa. dude. What like, the fuck? Oh my god, get me off this plane. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> She's yeah, like, it's kind of like you. Yeah, Look. yeah, do you see the resemblance? Um, yeah, yeah there's, no shortage. Funny. there's no shortage of that shit. I tell you. I, I, think, I think people on airplanes, when you sit down, I just think that you should just not t- talk to Half the, the population just kind of loses touch with reality when they get on a plane. I think I you shouldn't talk the to the people next on. to you. I, think I, I disagree with that. I've actually had some like wonderful conversations, but so I have two. You really got to fucking read you, the room. You get really so got to read the room, and also don't ever push it ever. Like let it be natural. I I agree. And if it's natural, it happens. If it doesn't happen, just shut the fuck up. I I agree. I also feel like I've had great conversations, but like I feel bad for all the introverts out there that get on planes and they sit down and they're just like, please don't. Please, please let this be a person who doesn't hey, speak man. to me. Hey, th- and that's that's on them that they didn't. The that's room. on them that they didn't pack noise canceling headphones. <laughs> um, Kelsey, what would you say is the biggest thing that your cancer diagnosis has taken away from you? Um, probably just that sense of in your twenties and thirties, where like not that you're invincible, but you don't overthink your health too much, and it just made life a little less carefree, I would say. Hmm. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, this goes back to your question, Brian, just about my relationship with work. And I think it really gave me the freedom to separate myself from work and kind of take more time for myself and like live my life outside of work. Um, and a couple summers ago, I like, decided after I got through everything, I left my job and my partner and I moved onto a boat and we lived on that for a few months and sailed your around yacht. your yacht. The, uh, <laughs> it's yacht. not a yacht. Um, <laughs> and then now I just freelance so that like we can take summers off and go sailing and spend time together and do stuff that's not work. Oh, and I that. don't think I would have really gotten myself there otherwise. Cause I would have felt like, I don't, it just, I'd always really been defined by work and, I worked a ton and all my friends did the same things I did. And it would have been, it would have felt wrong for me to just like leave my job to go sailing. But now it's like, why wouldn't I, why would I just keep working every single day when life's short, you don't know what's going to happen. So yeah, I love might as well go sailing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think that might be the title of the episode Life short, might as well go sailing um, That's good, Kelsey, yeah. thank you This has been a real treat It's been so nice to sit down And uh, get a glimpse into the experience that you went through And, and thanks for, for sharing this with our listeners I think it really, really, it really does mean a lot Yeah, yeah go it's off. been great Okay, Brian Go that. off, queen Get out of here <laughs> My God <laughs> Thank you If you need to know if your boyfriend's good Just get cancer <laughs> <laughs> That should be the title, the title. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.